Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. You're listening to Double G Radio. It's all the non-believers. How did that it's all the non-believers? Anybody can be beat. Relax and enjoy our expert analysis of all proteins in the concrete jungle. Can't wait. A special Saturday night edition of the Box Out. We have a trade to announce, and it concerns the New York Knicks. It's Khalil, it's Jason, it's the Box Out, and it starts right now. Double G Sports Radio. Saturday night, 9 o'clock, a special show. We said it on Thursday that the trade went down, we would have a show. So it's Khalil and my main man Jason Corden on a Saturday night. How you doing, Jay? I'm I'm emotional right now. I feel like many things fans out there, they want to know why was Melo dealt? How do we put a bow on the whole Melo Carmelo experience? So, um, yeah, I'm a little bummed. But I'm happy for him. I'm happy for him to go back out west and get eliminated in the second round of the West Side playoffs. <laughs> so if you've been living under a rock for the last, let's say, seven hours, uh, the Knicks pulled the trigger on the trade for Camelo Anthony. Uh, they sent him to the Oklahoma City Thunder. In exchange, the Knicks will receive Enos Cantor, Doug McDermott, and a second-round draft pick. Uh, and I was at the Columbia game uh, covering Columbia football, and it came across Twitter. You know, Adrian Wojnarowski broke it. They were working on it. They were close. And then about two minutes later, it was official. So, off the top, Jay, what was your first thought when the trade went through? What, what did you What did you first think about? The first thing I thought was, "Wow, the Thunder had low key the best off season in uh, team history." But like I told people Thursday night, I thought it would have been very awkward if Melo would have walked in the training camp. And as last night progressed and this morning kind of progressed a little bit, I was covering the college game day crew up in Times Square, and I was starting to see, see tweets that saying how Melo really does not want to be there on Monday. So then I had my, I had an idea he would get dealt. Maybe Houston, but Oklahoma came out of nowhere. Yeah, it seems like it was it was Houston, it was Cleveland, and then I, we talked about Portland on Thursday night about how Portland kind of became this dark horse to kind of get them. And we we talked about Portland and the assets that Portland could trade away. And it seemed like Portland was kind of going to be a front runner because they had a little bit more they can give away. Then right. comes last night when reports are kind of surfacing that 
uh, Melo gave the Knicks a list of teams that he would be willing to waive his new trade for, no trade clause for. And the, there was a lot of teams in that list. Like Melo was like, just get me the hell out of here. And eventually he yeah. got his way. He, he, he got out and he's an OKC now, which, like you said, I did not see them at all. I, I think they were mentioned, but never taken really seriously. Right. So it, but the only good thing, the only, of, caveat, the only caveat to the the Oklahoma thing is, I'm surprised they got two great assets in Paul George and Carmelo Anthony without abandoning a number one pick. They didn't give them any of their picks. They gave a second round pick for the Bulls, which I think the Bulls will be awful next year as well. So that kind of helps out, but that's what a low 31, 32 pick. Yeah, well, and this, the thing with this trade is this: I feel like it's been. It's been a 50-50 type deal since it was announced. You have half saying, you know what? We, I can't do so could play the five. This could lead for things at the four. McDermott come off the bench. He's a shooter. We need a shooter. And that second-round pick is it's just a trade chip you can have in your back pocket for later on. The other way of thinking is we got nothing for a 20, 25-point-a-game scorer. You got a center who's okay. You got a shooter who, in the vein of Kyle Korver, can only shoot, and that's it. No defense or nothing else. And you only get a second-round pick. So I feel like – I'm not sure if you saw this or if you spoke to anyone today. It feels like there's a 50-50 split on people who like this deal and who just does not like this deal. It's the same thing here. I'm starting to get that 50-50 split from a lot of fans, a lot of people in the media that I've been talking to all day. And the one thing that I'm getting a lot from the media side of it is that Cantor's contract from off the books next season. So it's pretty much like Derrick Rose all over again. So that's more flex that's more flexibility you're gonna have next off season. And you know, as much as we say, I think the Knicks are gonna finish in the top five, so the draft is top heavy again. So you still have that pick which is yours. You're not you can give it away like the Mets. So I think everybody needs to look at a glass half full, glass half empty kind of situation. I personally think the one person that's going to strive to watch all of this trade is going to be Tim Hardaway Jr. I think he's going to cook this season, and he's going to show why, you know, some of them should have kept him around. So, and and I talk about this in the, in the, the press box in Columbia uh, today, too about how you look at this trade and you think that, you know, for Camille Anthony, you would get a lot more, but how Phil Jackson just, and we, and we talked about it a lot. Phil Jackson destroyed Carmelo Anthony's trade value. And it started last season and it kept going throughout the season. And then Phil's end of season press conference, I think officially killed any chance of the Knicks getting like, a substantial haul for Carmel Anthony, because Phil Jackson just killed it completely. He totally railroaded him. And I, I don't know if you heard the rumor. There was a scripted tweet that was uh, released by Phil later on earlier today, wishing Melo well and wishing both parties well in that trade. But then somehow that tweet was uh, anomalously erased. Like, I didn't hear that, but no, hearing that now, it doesn't surprise me. Because Phil, <laughs> Phil has got – he has to be the most – he had a good day. He had a good day. He, it, he has to be the most vindictive. It's like talking to a female sometimes. It, he's on this vindictive, just like caddy tip. And it's like, you're not there anymore. Let it go. Like, 
He got traded with a new GM and a new president. Let it go. Stay on your ranch in Idaho, wherever the hell you are, and just let it just let it die. Speaking about speaking of the new regime, I, I do want to applaud them for not caving in and sending Melo Dickinson for Anderson. I, I thought that was if he was really going to get dealt, as we all speculated for quite some time, we all pretty much canceled Houston, and the Knicks would get the lowest dangling food they could possibly get for him. They actually got better than what they would have got from Houston, so I'm not too mad about the situation. Because at the end of the day, Phil Jackson ruined any value we would have got from Melo. Yeah, and it. You said this to me in text today, and I thought about that too. And we 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 talked about this on Thursday about how the an old Knicks regime would have been like, we just want him off the team. We'll take anything that you got. Ryan Anderson in three years, sixty-six million dollars, no problem. We'll take it. But you know, props to the Knicks. Maybe maybe Scott Perry has an idea. Maybe he's like, listen, Cantor comes with the books. We'll see what we have. McDermott. McDermott could be a good bench piece. Maybe he turn into like a starter, mm-hmm. i.e., like a Kyle Korver. That second round pick right. we got in our back pocket now. You know, let's just take what we got and see what happens. The expectations for this team is not very high. Let's just go with it. And we get Carmelo out we yeah. get Carmelo out the east. We put him in the west away from us. And kind of let's let it ride. So I definitely agree. I think that Perry had a plan and he kinda of executed the plan that he wanted. But I was really afraid that the Knicks coming up on Sunday they would be like, okay, Houston, what do you, okay, we'll take Ryan Anderson, but give us something else. And we'll be saddled with that contract. I was really afraid of that. Yeah, so, again, kudos to the management. They pulled off their first blockbuster-ish kind of move. I still think they're going to wheel and deal and try to get something, like you said, I think there's another move to be made by the Knicks. And if somehow they could get rid of Noah's contract, oh, man, it's going to be a great summer 2018. Yeah, so, and looking at this from OKC, OKC's point of view, and we actually have uh, we have a caller, we have a guest, our first real guest on the show. We have Ben McDonald, who's a writer for Double G Sports, basketball writer. He's joining the show right now. Ben, you're on with uh, Khalil and Jason. How you doing tonight? Hey, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. What's going hey, on? So, so we were all on the Double G. Uh, chat today talking about the trade. What were your thoughts when the trade went down and when you first heard the reports about uh, Carmelo being traded? Well, personally, I thought the two first things that went through my mind were that, A, this makes Oklahoma City the direct challenger to the, the Warriors. But from a, from a Knicks perspective, I think it's great that they're they're getting this done and putting themselves in a position to get one of those top three guys potentially this year in the draft, whether it's Bagley, Doncic, um, or Porter, which I think is huge, obviously, for their, their future, because right now that the cupboard is pretty bare beyond beyond Kristaps, really. So with with that said, do you think that the Knicks got as much as they could have gotten, or should they maybe held out for more? Because Monday was coming. Monday was in the back of their minds. They knew Monday could be a circus <laughs> if we went to camp. Do you think they kind of had to take this deal and go, or do you think they could have held out a little bit more? I mean, I think it's the one thing that I think strikes you about the trade. I don't know what you guys think, but I was kind of surprised they didn't get any first round picks out of this. That's typically you've been able to extract at least like a late first rounder for this type of trade. And the fact that they weren't able to do that. I mean, if you look at the other trades, even the Paul George trade, which was pretty heavily criticized as being too little, you know, they ended up with a pick 
to Montez Sabonis, who was obviously a lottery pick, and Victor Oladipo. So they were able to to hold on to that shred of we traded for three lottery picks in that respect, or three first-round picks. Where with Melo, I think the one thing you look at is you say, that second-round pick isn't probably getting you a player you're really going to have on the roster. So I thought it was good that they got this out of the way, but I would have been a little disappointed if they weren't able to get even a late first-round pick at the end of this, especially given that Cantor's contract is not super desirable. Mm. Uh, Jason, that's, question that's to you. Why, that's, that's, mm-hmm. why I Oklahoma, that's, why, that's why I think Oklahoma didn't give up a first-round pick because they know Cantor's contract was coming off the book. So they figured, hey, you know, we'll take Melo, we'll give you this asset that you can either flip around later or just let this contract write it out and let it come off the books. But you, you, Ben, you're totally right. Like, usually you get a first-rounder out of this. But uh, we go back to what me and Kelly have been saying for, since day one. Phil, let, you know, he railroaded Melo's value. I think if yeah, Phil, he tanked look, 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 100%. Listen, because if Phil was still there, Melo would have got bought out, and the Knicks would have got nothing. I couldn't agree more. I think one of the major things here was that he depreciated Melo's value so much. I, I, I think there's a really good chance. I, I'm still a little bit on the Melo bandwagon. Some, some people, I think, are, have really jumped off that bandwagon. I still think in the right situation, Melo can be a top 25 player, if not top 10 or 15 in some situations, if he has the right guys around him. And I think that's the one thing that's going to hurt, I think, Nick's fans is seeing him in a situation that really puts him in a position to succeed. I think Billy Donovan is actually a pretty good coach. And having guys there who can take some of the ball handling away from him, which is not necessarily his strong suit. He's not a great playmaker. I think being able to put him around guys who can take some of that away from him and let him do spot-ups, get him in the post, where he's still one of the toughest guys to guard. You know, either you put a big man on him, he's quicker than him, or he's bigger than a lot of the threes. I mean, now there are more athletic threes, obviously, out there. But I think when you look at it, in the right situation, he's pretty deadly. And that's why people always talk about Olympic mellow versus, you know, the NBA mellow. Mm-hmm. So, so, Ben, what you're saying is that not just saying I'm asking, do you think Oklahoma City is the right place for him? Do you think that's the place where you're going to see the mellow that we saw when he first came to New York and the mellow that maybe we saw in Denver also? That's a great question. I think one of the key things is going to be the emergence of who plays the two because you saw Robertson play for the Thunder a lot last year. And I don't know how workable that's going to be. If you have Adams, Westbrook, and Robertson, those are three guys who are really not great shooters which means they're going to be helping a lot off them. They have a Brinus. Uh, they have this guy Ferguson who played in Australia yeah. for the Adelaide 36ers. I mean, if you look at Ferguson's jump shot, it is it is one of the prettier jump shots. I'm not saying he's going to be a real contributor, but that guy, I mean, he has like a Ray Allen-type form on his jump shot. I mean, it is really pretty. It is like a buttery smooth shot that he's got. So if a Brinus and him – can come in and contribute, I think that's where you see Melo become something. Because all of a sudden, if he's attacking closeouts, that is a dangerous player. Melo, if he has a step on a defender, he's as good in the league still. If he can get in isolation, if he can get not the the, the number one defender on the other team, I mean, that's going to be tough. And realistically, I think you are going to see some of that. I think you are going to see some of that Olympic Melo because teams are going to be putting their best guys on Westbrook and George, 
And if you're putting your, your third best defender on Melo, I mean, even the most skeptical person, I think, could see Melo's going to take advantage of that every time. That's true. So with this deal, do you, does Oklahoma City move? Because Jason and myself, we spoke on our show on Thursday that Oklahoma City, Jason believed that they'd be a five or six. I thought they might be worse than that, maybe seven or eight seed. With this trade, does Oklahoma City definitely become that five, maybe even higher in the Western Conference, or are they still kind of in the middle? I'm going to be honest. I'm a little higher than you guys. I think this makes them the second-best team in the West, maybe the second-best team in the NBA with this move. I, I love it. I, I, I'm a little higher on it. I, I'm also – I'm a big Paul George believer. So, like, I love two-way players who can shoot like George can. I think that helps them a lot. I mean, you keep in mind, too, last year they were the sixth seed before adding George. So, mm-hmm. obviously, the rest of the conference has gotten better. But, I mean, it's always unwise to presume the demise of the Spurs. But if you actually look at that roster, they're, they're thin. They lost some guys from last year. They lost Jonathan Simmons. They lost Dwayne Dedman. And I think that's going to be tough. And, you know, the Rockets, just like the Thunder, they're another team who are going to have to integrate new pieces. They're going to have to integrate Chris Paul and figure out how to play with those two guys who both want the ball in their hands. So, to me, I I see them as the second or third best team in the West. I think they're they're going to be competing. I mean, and I think if you look at the matchups, they match up about as well with the Warriors as any team in the West now with this trade. I I mean, they can punish the Warriors. They can play small if they want to. They can put those guys out there and really switch everything. I mean, Adams is still going to – Adams is still not exactly that guy, but if you switch up, you can have Draymond Green out there, have Paul George on Green, Carmelo Anthony, Robertson, put a shooter like Cabrinas and Russell Westbrook. I think matchups-wise, they can match up with this trade with pretty much anyone in the Western Conference now. Jason, your thoughts about Golden State uh, – sorry, Oklahoma City now with Carmelo. I think this puts them – this bumps them from sixth to possibly third, fourth in the Western Conference. Um, like you said, I'm not going to call for the demise of the Spurs yet. Pop is a great coach. He will adapt and he'll make some adjustments. Mm-hmm. And I think there's another there's another piece out there for – for the top teams in the Western Conference. There's going to be another player that's going to fall. I'm not sure who that player is, but I know the Spurs are not going to hold – they're not going to hold Pat. They're going to make a move. Houston, I just like the essence of, of Chris Paul going there, being a true point guard, taking that responsibility away from Harden. So now you're going to see Harden's going to get better shots. I still think Houston, with that system, Dan Tony, I still put them number two right now in the Western Conference. And then somehow you still got Minnesota – which I think is going to jump quicker than a lot of these other new teams with their new pieces. So the West is up for grabs. It's a really top-heavy. Like, one through six could possibly be all 50-game winners, and that's remarkable, right? Think about it. And don't sleep on the Nuggets either. I think the Nuggets exactly. kind of get lost Nuggets, in these conversations. But you look – I mean, totally Paul Millsap fits in really well. But I, I, loved, I loved your point. I think I, I totally agree. I think there is another player who's going to end up there. Um, my really my only concern with the Rockets is that D'Antoni kind of I mean <laughs> you guys have watched the Knicks he has a history of running guys a little bit into the ground and mm-hmm. those like you saw with Harden at the end of last year and Chris Paul you know he's been in the league for quite a while that's a guy who's not really accustomed under Rivers he doesn't play 35 minutes a game so it's going to be kind of interesting to see 
what the 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 push and pull is going to be on that roster with D'Antoni because D'Antoni likes to play seven eight man rotations. He doesn't like to go deep into his bench, and it makes you wonder a little bit with that team. You know, you saw the injury with Nene. You saw the issues with Harden towards the end, and you, I mean, on the Knicks, you saw it with Stoudemire. You saw it with a few other guys over the course of his career, even Nash to a degree, and it makes me a little nervous because I don't know if it's his entirely his fault, but guys have tended to go down and towards the end, their teams sort of peter out a little bit towards the end of the season sometimes with the Suns and the Knicks and now the Rockets it looked like last year. So uh, before you came on, Jason said that he thought that the Knicks were not done making moves with this deal, that this was just the beginning of them, and maybe not now, but maybe throughout the season up to the trade deadline of them making moves. Do you think they're done, or do you think they're kind of going to stay pat for the time being all through this regular season and see what happens? You know, that's a fantastic question, because I think that's something that everyone should be asking themselves, what what are the Knicks going to do next? They obviously they have some tough contracts. I think Noah. Noah's contract is pretty. That's a tough one to move, in Hardaway, and it, it just the Ron Baker contract seemed like a little bit too much too. So there's a few guys there where if you want to get cap flexibility for the future, you might need to make some moves. I think the problem might not be a willingness to make moves, but it's hard to see where you're going to send those pieces. Obviously you'd like to see Cantor potentially move and open up some more minutes for Hernan Gomez, but it's hard to really see where these pieces are going to move, who really wants some of these guys and like what you're going to be able to extract for them, given that people aren't really trading first round picks for anyone less than a star player now. So I would predict the Knicks are going to look for moves. I think they might have trouble finding anything, getting any value back for some of these guys. Ben McDonald joining us on the box out. He's a double G sports basketball writer. Uh, Ben, we'll get you out with this question based on this trade. And let's just say they do stay pat. They make no moves. They're going to go with the team they have right now. And they have a pretty large team because they have about 17 guys in the contract. How many games do the Knicks win this year? If they stay has is without making anything, any other moves going on today. Honestly, I have a soft spot and I hope the Knicks, I hope that they they win fewer games this year. I hope they win in the in the 20s this year because that gives them the chance to get one of those top three guys. I I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see Porzingis skip out. Like if he was to go down with like a vague injury around the 50 or 60 game mark, I think they could win mid 20s, like 27 games, 26 games. If you keep the guys healthy the whole year, they have enough talent to win in the low 30s, maybe 31 games, but you're going to torpedo your chances at getting one of those top three guys. And you've already seen a lot of teams prepare to try and get those guys. So I I would say if I'm optimistic, I hope they win in the mid-20s and give themselves a chance at one of those three guys. But if they really keep everything as is, I think it might be somewhere in that 29, 31 range, something like that. All right, Ben McDonald from WG Sports, basketball writer. Thanks so much for joining us, Ben. I know it was uh... – it was a crazy day for all of us at Double G, so thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Happy to be on here, and hope I can get in here again soon. Definitely, definitely. Thanks. All right, guys. Have a good night. So that was Ben McDonald from Double G Sports. Uh, Jason, 
there's another question to this trade also, and it came out, and we talked about Kevin Durant's Twitter on Thursday about him making comments about OKC and how he couldn't win with them, and they weren't going to win a championship. Now, do you think that this trade, and especially how quick it happened, was this Sam Presti's response to those tweets has been saying, we have to make a move to prove him wrong, and this was that move. What do you think? Absolutely. I, I think this, I think thanks to Kevin Durant ripping the organization, ripping the coach, it forced them to make a move. Another move, actually, you know, since they already made one with Paul George, now they've really been aggressive this offseason. They got another playmaker to go alongside Westbrook. So if you really look at it, by losing Kevin Durant, they pretty much acquired Paul George, and Carmelo Anthony, kind of like how when LeBron left Miami, I mean, when he left Cleveland for Miami, Cleveland got Kyrie Irving and Wiggins and another bust. So I, I, I applaud what Sam Frank has been doing, because I think you don't want to stand pack. You want to challenge these guys, even if you're not going to beat them, but at least challenge them. Don't let Golden State cakewalk to another title. So I, I, I applaud what he did. Yeah, it was. It was. And I was. I was leaving the game today, and I was talking to one of the writers from another site, and I was shocked at how fast it happened. Because yesterday they were talking like, yeah. you know, he's part of the team, you know, he's he's part of this rotation. Jeff Hornick said, said he would be crazy not to play him. It seemed like they were resigned to the fact that you know what, there's no deal in place. Carmelo will be here on Monday, and we're going to start the season with him in place. So it happening so fast just shows that aggressiveness of Presti. And I really do believe that Durant saying all that trash he said kind of, kind of stuck, stuck with him a little bit. It's like, hey, we gotta get better because we got this guy talking trash. And you know, and he was yep. very complimentary. It surprised me how complimentary Presty really was about Durant. I expected a little bit of snark somewhere, but Presty kind of took the high road. And I was like, why? You, there's no need. You don't have to take the high road if you don't want to. Nope. But uh, that's just Kevin Durant being all heelish and speaking his truth. I thought some of the stuff he said about the organization was kind of true because we, you know, we can't forget the fact they would hard and walk away for a couple million. Uh, today was t- today was insane. Today was, I think I missed nine minutes of the first quarter of the Columbia versus Georgetown football game because I was so concerned. <laughs> like, we gotta do this show tonight. I gotta, we gotta get guests. We gotta do this. We gotta put it together. What's going on? I gotta make sure it's true. Like, is Adrian messing with this? I don't know if Wojo's correct. It was an insane afternoon. And, you know, Monday, Monday's going to be the day where, you know, Carmelo officially waves his no-trade clause. He becomes a member of the Thunder. I'm interested to see how the fans take to McDermott and cancer. Because, like I said, I still believe it's a 50-50 proposition. I feel like half the fans are like, we got what we can get. And others are like, yeah, we're, we're not really happy with this. We should have gotten more. But... See, that's a, good, that's a good question. Do you think the fans will embrace the rebuild? Well, the, the, the thing is, and I feel like people always say it's New York. You can't rebuild. That the word rebuild does not exist in, for New York teams. But I think with how bad the Knicks have been and with how poorly they've been ran and with everything that's gone on, going back to, you know, the Isaiah Thomas era, I feel like fans – are thinking like we need to change and fans gave Carmelo a lot of love towards the end of the year last year. And as a fan, I didn't want to see him go. I think Carmelo has does a lot left in the tank, but what the team has currently constructed, he would not be successful here. So 
So I think the, the, the right. fans realize what's going on, and they'll be patient. I think the fans will be patient, and they know that they may not win a lot of games this year. With Carmelo, they might win an extra eight or nine. Without Carmelo, those eight or nine disappear. And like Ben said, you might look at a top, like a 25, 26 win team. If this stretches on for years upon years. Oh, eight, I see 18 eight, wins this like season. 18 tops. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so what's that said? Yep. Okay, so you said 18. Now, if they win 18 games, does Jeff Hornacek lose his job? I think yes, yes, yes. Because I think at some point, the new general manager is going to want to put his own guy in there. So I say absolutely. I think he's he's a – He's a walking dead man. <laughs> I, well, it's also you have a new GM, so you probably want to get he probably want to get his own guy in. But I feel like it, uh, Hornacek was a t- terrible fit for this team from the from the from the set. So I feel like this yeah. that's a that's a matter of time for he gets fired. But it's gonna be interesting to see how long the fans do wait because if it stretches out for four or five years, that's when the fans are gonna start murmuring and that's when the booze gonna come down. But We're patient. I think the fans are gonna be. I- I think they're going to be patient because of two things. One, the East is terrible. I mean, not even the East is terrible, but the West is so top- is so heavy. And mm-hmm. you know the Warriors are in the midst of their dynasty. And then you still got a lot of good contenders out there. The East is so terrible. And the possibility of LeBron leaving makes it that much more terrible. So it's one of those situations where, like, well, hey, if I'm bad and my neighbor's doing bad, how bad am I really doing? So I think fans will be – they'll wait. Yeah, I mean – it. We'll, they'll wait, but I feel like, especially with New York fans, we wait, but we have a we have a threshold of waiting. That we have a limit. If it if this rebuild stretches five six years, like we're not talking rebuild like the Tampa Bay Devil Rays back in the day. We're not talking about a long rebuild like uh, I'm gonna go with the Rangers in hockey. The Rangers took forever to build from you know when they won the Stanley Cup to when they became relevant again. Even with Gretzky on the roster. New York fans, we're patient, but we're not that patient. And it's going to get to a point where if we're not winning games, if we win 18 this year and win 18 next year and then win 20 the next year, that's when fans are like, something's not right. We need to change something, yeah. unfortunately. And then that's when James Dolan probably kicks in and starts meddling around in what's going on. Like I said on Thursday, the brothers have a plan, and we have to trust that plan. Yeah, listen, I, I, I am hopeful – from what I've seen from Scott Perry, with the exception of maybe, and he wasn't really part of the team when the Tim Hardaway deal was signed, it seemed like he knows what he wants. And I read that blog post that we talked about on Thursday night. I read it again, and it seemed like he wants to establish a culture. He wants to establish a way to a way they play. He wants a certain way of doing things in the garden, and something we haven't had. Now it's up to him to get the players to to push that push that vision. That's gonna be a tough part because you know, thanks to Phil Jackson, New York City is not exactly a, uh, a is a hot destination for free agents and trade pe- and people to get traded to. Well, you know, Carmelo did have a lot of you know envious players around the league that didn't like him, so maybe that mystique might also change. Because all I keep thinking about is Jared Dudley today, like how how much he used to trash. Mellow as being overrated. And I wonder how much people in the NBA, you know, minus the LeBron, D-Wade, those guys really feel that way. Yeah, I mean, I feel like 
just like there's always been a thought about Carmelo being overrated since he was in Denver. And he played with Denver, right. played on some really bad teams in Denver, but he got his points. So people assumed he was good in Denver because it was just him. He comes to New York, right. gets, gets to the playoffs, gets out the first – did he get the got first round, I believe, or didn't I can't remember if he did or not. Um, the first year they lost to like, Boston, and then the second, the yeah. second year they, they beat Boston. That's it. Okay, so they got the second, second, first round once. So yeah. it's always that thought. Now you're playing with Russell Westbrook and Paul George. So now people are still going to think even if Carmelo scores 20 points a game, well, he's only getting his points because he's playing with Russ and, and PG-13. So I feel like no matter what, I feel like everyone's going to look at Carmelo like he's overrated. No, no matter what the situation, no matter what happens this year, people always see Carmelo Anthony's overrated, which is ridiculous because Carmelo and Ben said it, Carmelo in the right situation, Carmelo is deadly. He is a closer. Yeah. And, and this may be the situation he needs. Yeah, I think Russ is definitely going to find him in great spots. Paul George as well. They're going to find him in great spots. He's going to, he's the, to me, he's going to be everything that Kevin Love should have been that first year. He's going to be so willing to play the third fiddle, and you're going to see the best mellow in years. Yeah, I, I, I believe that. I think that, and, and you mentioned it, Nick Dunder, they play first game of the year, which is, again, coincidence because – Cleveland and Boston plays opening night, and now we have New York and Oklahoma City opening night. It just—it's all just kismet how this all happens. It just—it's really funny how everything's happening now. October seventeenth can't get here fast enough. Oh, it's gonna be—it's gonna be a good one. I'm also happy that we were on tonight because of what happened yesterday into today um, concerning our esteemed president of the United States, Donald Trump. And uh, first, Donald Trump was at a rally in Alabama last night talking about how NFL owners should fire players who do not stand for the anthem. And then Steph Curry during the Warriors media day yesterday said that he would not go to the White House if he was invited. Not interested, not going to go, which is a sentiment shared by many other players, not just him, not just in the NBA, but around Uh the sports world. Trump proceeds to go on the Twitter and says that Steph is not invited. Golden State releases a statement saying that we're not going, and we'll go to Washington, not to go to the White House, but we'll do something else that you know goes with our values. And then it the floodgates open. Like LeBron, LeBron spit, LeBron spit fire on Twitter today. Everybody went off. I think Donald Trump made a big mistake picking on the NBA today. What do you think? I totally agree. And in the words of Donald Trump, he made a huge mistake taking off, taking a fight with the NBA. Not only did the Warriors, I don't know if you've heard about this, not only did the Warriors decline, but the North Carolina Tar Heels also declined today that they will not make the visit mm-hmm. in February to the White House. So it's it's starting to it's starting to the spiral, the downward spiral towards uh, Trump and uh, sports. Like we just we just have enough of him, and I think. As more players being more vocal, it's a good thing. And, you know, especially in terms of, like, the whole thing with cap and everything and a lot of players in the NFL, they're not as boisterous, and they don't have that they don't have that backing like the NBA players do. Like, the NBA players, they'll rip, they have no problem ripping Donald Trump because they know the association is right behind them. So, yeah, I think this is a fight he just can't win, and it's shame on him because he had that rally last night, which I thought was a cool – it reminded me of a Klang rally, just the, the venom and the hatred he was spewing out there. Like, who is he to tell these owners what to do? And kudos to the NFL owners because a lot of them kind of like, you know, they were saying, hey, the words that Donald Trump said do not define who we are. So I, I applaud that. 
NFL owners for making a stance on that. But yeah, Trump. Yeah, he's. I have no problem with the Warriors saying no, they need to go. They don't need to go anyway. But kudos to Steph Curry for saying like, no, I don't want to go before Trump could get ahead of him and say what he said. Uh, LeBron's tweet was, and I quote, "You bum," referring to Donald <laughs> Trump. At, at at Steph Curry already said he ain't going, so therefore ain't no invite. Going to White House is a great honor until you, Donald Trump, showed up. It that I read that I was like, what? Damn! Wow! Oh, oh, okay, <laughs> that, that's cool. That's cool too. No problem. But it's one of those things where, and there was an article where it showed and it gave names of the NFL owners that gave money to Trump. Trump got a Super Bowl ring from Robert Kraft when the Patriots went. And it's funny, too, how Steph Curry said he wouldn't go. Yet Tom Brady didn't go, and he said he wasn't going to go. So there was no, there was no right. pushback for Brady not going when the Patriots went. But there's pushback when Steph Curry says he's not going, which is just, it's, 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 a, it's, that, it's that dog whistle. It's that underlying mm-hmm. something. That like okay, well Tom Brady said he won't go, and Donald Trump said, oh, there's no problem. You know, they have things to do. But then Steph Curry says he's not going to go, and all of a sudden it's like, well, you're not invited anyway. You're not allowed in. So it's like this underlying thing. I think that's. I think a lot of players and I think a lot of owners picked up on that, and I think that's what garnered a lot of the attention that that tweet got this today. All right. So it's, it, it's, it's sad it, when it's sad when you're it's sad when the president. It's so petty. Yeah, it's – that's the word I was looking for earlier, petty, about Phil Jackson. I cannot think of the word, and you just gave it to me. Petty. It's one of those things where, you know what, you don't have to have teams come to the White House. It's it's, it's tradition. I get it. But you don't have to have them come. They don't have to go. But he has this thing to him where he he, – Trump needs this adoration, and if he doesn't get it, he spits hate out of people because he's not getting. You don't like him, so he's gonna he's gonna hate you and tweet about you. And so it's one of those things where it's like, listen, you're not gonna have a lot of teams going to the White House over the next two three years because they don't want to deal with it because they see what's happening. And the whole argument about keeping sports and politics separate and telling Colin Kaepernick to stay in his lane and athletes don't have the right to talk and blah blah blah. That ends now because now Trump put his foot in it, so now it, it's fair game for everybody else. Uh, doesn't this all make uh, Janelle Hill from ESPN look that much more correct on her stance? Well, it was funny because I, I, I follow her on Twitter, and I'm kind of watching her tweets, and she's she's not saying a lot, but she's just like, mm-hmm, just uh, literally, uh-huh, and retweeting things. So... <laughs> Hey, yo, God bless ESPN. For, and there was a report that ESPN tried to cut her off the air on Wednesday and kind of uh, suspend her for one day. And they tried to go to other African-American on, on-air staff, and they all said no. So they were forced to have Jamel Hill stay on the air on Wednesday. So I think now this kind of validates her a little bit and makes it look like she had a point. And I know ESPN doesn't want to get political anymore because they swore that their subscribers are – leaving because they're political, not because, you know, no one gets cable anymore. But it yeah, it, it, was, it, it was definitely like this validating event for Jamel Hill and others who have spoken out against the president and got, and got in some trouble for it. Yeah. I, I couldn't believe some of the stuff he was saying, though, like, you know, hey, if, he, if you're a player protesting, he needs to be fired. Like, really? This is the, the willful law of the United States. 
man, this country is falling back. It's falling off some hard times for the next 10 years. We, we're only nine months into this guy's presidency. It's going to be a rough three and a half more years. Yeah, it, it, I feel like he's been in office for like eight, and it's been like less than a year. <laughs> it's like, well, damn, look, he's still here. Like, it's like, it seemed like his, president, oh, yeah. his, pres- his presidency has gone on forever, and it's just like insane. He actually tweeted a couple hours ago about the statement that Roger Goodell released, trying to justify the total disrespect certain players show to our country, tell them to stand. So essentially he's telling the commissioner of the NFL to force players to not protest. And now you, you look at tomorrow, we got NFL tomorrow, protest tomorrow. We got NBA coming up, NBA preseason starts this week. NBA season starts in a couple of weeks. We're going to see a lot of protests coming up. So it's going to be very interesting to see not only the protests, not only the reaction of our president, but the reaction of the owners, the GMs, and, and everyone involved. Because it's going to be, be overarch, overarching re- protests all over. So it's be interesting to see how this all works out. Yeah, definitely. Especially tomorrow. I think tomorrow is going to be a, a – uh, it's going to be the beginning. And I think whatever happens tomorrow, the NBA is going to take that lead – and take it further because we always talk about how the NBA is so much more progressive than the NFL because, and I said it today, you're dealing with a lot of new money, a lot of new money, a lot of young yep. guys owning NBA teams, NFL and seven owners, oh, including man. the one, including the one minority owner in the NFL who owns Jackson Jaguars donated money to Trump's campaign, a lot of old money. Yep. And they're all in for, for Trump and what he stands for. So, it, it the NBA continues once again, and we'll say this, say this every single time. The NBA continues to be ahead of the NFL in every way, shape, or form when it comes to social issues. Yep. Now, if the NBA can just get ahead on and change the the playoff seating, then they, they would have hit everything <laughs> right on the button. Because I think that is definitely coming down the pipe. So NBA, you're good with inclusion. You're good with political social issues. Now fix your playoff system. That's next. You, you got the social That's thing next. done. That and then tanking. Fix that, and then you're then you're perfect. Right now, all the other stuff is good. Not, don't fix don't fix tanking this year. Fix it next year. <laughs> not, no, not, not until after this year when the Knicks wins 18 games. Then fix tanking all you want. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's good. yeah. Good thought. Good idea. Jason. Awesome. Uh, awesome. I call this an emergency podcast, and people made fun of me for calling it an emergency podcast. But it was an emergency podcast. We had to get on air tonight for this trade. So awesome show as usual. Likewise, my brother, likewise. But only one thing, though, I forgot to mention earlier. Now, with mm-hmm. Melo being gone, is this a two-for-one? Do we lose Do we lose Lala as well? Or we probably see her one more season on power, and then she's probably exiting out to OKC or L.A. Listen, I don't listen. I, I don't need to. Uh-huh. I, I, no, I, I don't want to use it. figure that out. Uh-huh. I don't want to use this show to objectify women, but I don't lose. Let leave Lala here. Over here, Mello, you go to OKC, do your thing, but 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 leave leave Lala here for for all of us. Leave yeah. leave her in New York. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so same schedule. Um, no box out this coming Thursday. We'll be back the following Thursday, and we'll be back every Thursday after that. We're taking one more week off, and then we're gonna go full bore. So October 5th at 8 p.m. we'll be back. We're going to start some previews. We're going to start looking at the season.
Saturday when the NBA season kicks off. This has been the box out on a Saturday night. Jay, go sip on something. I'm going to go sip on something, and uh, I will talk to you in a couple weeks. All right, man. Take it easy. All right. For Jason, I'm Kyle Lill. This has been the box out. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you in two weeks, October 5th, our season premiere here on WG Sports Radio. Have a great night. Goodbye, Mello.